I never really understood narrowboaters until I overheard a coven meeting in my local sailing club and discovered that like us normal cruising sailors they are never so enthusiastic and gleeful as when regaling each other with anecdotes of the mortal dangers of their pastime. Indeed, it's clear to me that narrowboating is an extremely hazardous pursuit, not least for the damage it does to your dress sense. Basically a composite, breathable, three-layer permutation of celebrity steam fiend Fred Dibner, a poacher from a D.H. Lawrence novel, and a Morris dancer. And that's another evil, because narrowboaters are well known for their Morris dancing proclivities. Actually, that apart, we're frighteningly alike, because cruising sailors also aspire to look as ridiculous as possible. It's just that we sailors do it with pinks, blazers and little admiral caps, while narrowboaters favour pigeon fancier flat caps, bowler hats and soggy woolen jerkins. Both are period contemporary looks. It's just that ours is from the 1980s TV nautical soap, Howard's Way, while narrowboaters go for the 1830s black country Hovis advert, Chimney Sweep Chic, often accessorised with a ferret as a neckerchief. Other than that, there's not much to separate us, apart from the narrowboaters' uncontrollable urge to plant potatoes, tomatoes and marigolds on the roofs of, of their boats and rusticate everything in sight by stove-enabling twee floral designs on everything from watering cans and thermos flasks to satellite dishes, mobile phones and Jack Russells. Yet, we are at heart kindred spirits. And it's never better expressed than when spirits are involved, or in the case of narrowboaters, a warm, foaming, fermenting pint of putrid, gangrenous botulism, also known as real ale. That's when the bravura barstool stories of terror begin to flow. For us, entertainment is provided by humorous tales of such things as broaching off Portland Bill. For narrowboaters, it's locks that provide comical Cape Horn-style calamities. And that's where I agree, because other than every other aspect of sailing, it's locks that traumatise me most. And recently, after too much strong mead, I fell in with a bunch of narrow boaters who recited an endless litany of light-hearted locking disasters involving boats sinking in seconds when they caught on the sill or had been overwhelmed by the gushing water from the sluice. Everyone's favourite is the one where a narrowboat got caught on a protruding brick, then swivelled and sank in seconds as the water drained. Hilarious. Well, I had a little to do on a yacht in Holland when we were locking in from the sea into the inland waterways. It didn't occur to me that we'd be going down, so I kept the stern warp nice and tight until the skipper rushed aft to prevent the cleat being torn out, the best outcome, or the bow tipping under and sinking not so good. Now it's well known that in olden times all pubs were built beside locks because of the fantastic free entertainment they provide. If you see a pub without a lock, that's because it's been filled in on the grounds of health and safety. One such is ye old lock and bull. And not so, though, the old ship at Haybridge Basin on the Blackwater, where there's a spectator lawn to provide a prime view of the gladiatorial combat and chaos in the lock. Basically, having an audience just adds tension to the stress of locking in.
Another thing that adds stress is the fact that my outboard doesn't have reverse. It's usual practice for the Haybridge lockkeeper to call me in last so I can nudge between the butt cheeks of the bigger boats in front. So not only are all eyes on me, but there's also a pressure to get a hurry on, either for the next lock-in or to get in before the tide drops too much. Haybridge only operates an hour or so either side of high water. So as everyone's waving me in, I'm doing my very best to go as slow as possible so that I don't ram the other boats whose crew are preparing to ward me off with fenders, boat hooks, harpoons and maces. It's a question of fine judgment as to when to knock my engine into neutral to keep enough steerage on so that I don't get blown sideways and not so much that I crash into the other boats. And all the time they're still urging me on. When I mentioned this dilemma to Shipwright 80, he suggested throwing a bucket overboard to act as a break. So on my next run of the gauntlet into Haybridge, I approached a little more purposely and a few yards off tossed my galvanized bucket over the stern. Basically, it didn't work and I careered up the chuff of two boats. When I questioned AD later about the soundness of the t technique, he said, you did attach a rope, didn't you? Well, do I look that dumb? Oh, that's rhetorical, by the way. No need to write in. Of course I attached a rope to the bucket. I just forgot to attach the rope to the boat. Still, it could have been worse. At least I hadn't spent three months stove enameling flowers onto my bucket. <laughs>